This is the voice of the Trumpet Magazine. News, economy, politics, trends, discovery, health, family, the Bible, the future. This is Trumpet Hour. This episode of Trumpet Hour involves time travel. We're going to fly around 250 years, 50 years, three years. We'll jump into the past and a little into the future. But on all three of these burns, these firings of the time machine main engine, if you will, we'll land on the same date. We have push buttons on the guidance computer to adjust the year variable, but not the month and not the day. The day is the fourth and the month is July. This date is on a lot of our minds right now as we come toward the beginning of July and it has been a hard month of June here in the year 2023. Different Americans, different celebrations of different things. What a June to be alive. And what will the 4th be like in 2023? At the White House in Philadelphia and New York City. And what is it that we're celebrating? We're going to jump back and forth through time to understand that. And can I just say that I hope the experience you get will be the same as what I felt. There was a certain few hours when I was getting ready for this and I've written and rewritten and, and reorganized this program to try to get this across, uh, to, to recreate for you how I felt when I became just absolutely absorbed in this one special 4th of July. Anyhow, I'll tell you when we come to it and what we're doing and and we're doing what we can to try to give you that same experience. And I think you'll feel like I did about it. I have to thank our audio editor, our mission controller up front on this because he's there at the console. What would it be? The, the Ecom, the Inco, the FAO console. Uh, he's there anyway to trim and time and adjust all the clips that will hopefully absorb you into this 4th of July like they absorbed me. Oh, and we'll talk about a recent statement about the 4th of July. Uh, that was made by a current major politician, a man without whom it appears that nothing about the present state of America can be said. And we'll have Mission Control provide you the audio on that as well that you might not have heard about a future 4th of July. And at this point, I should apologize in advance about this manned spaceflight theme. It sort of came out of nowhere, but here it is, and the hatch is already closed, so here we go. I'm Philip Nice. It's almost the 4th of July, and you are listening to the time and place and meaning machine we call Trumpet Hour. Our first burn on this rocket time machine is 50 years. Two thousand tons of kerosene and liquid oxygen continuously exploding through five rocket nozzles as big as pickup trucks, achieving an impulse of, as I said, 50 years here on our rocket-powered, apparently, time machine. We're fixed at the month of July and the date of the 4th, and this burn ends us at the year coordinate of 1976. It 
Some of us are too young. We need the time machine to get to 1976. Some of us, some of you, were there. 1976 was the American Bicentennial, 200th anniversary of American independence. I have, as I said, written and rewritten this episode of Trumpet Hour for one reason, to try to basically do one thing to help you feel what I felt and, and maybe you felt originally about the 4th of July in 1976. It was a different celebration by different Americans. And let's just say they had been looking forward to this. They'd been talking about how to celebrate it for more than 10 years, and what came of all that was a pretty all-American result. Uh, there was a celebration or celebrations in Washington, D.C., but rather than one big national celebration, everyone had their own everywhere. Midtown Manhattan, Boston, Bangor, Washington State, Polk County, Iowa, the Dakotas, Los Angeles, New Orleans, Atlanta, Miami-Dade, and every Bethlehem and Carmel and Goshen and Hebron and Lebanon and Salem and Antioch and every Franklin and Jefferson and Madison and Georgetown and Mount Vernon and every state and every Midwest town where the train comes through, they all had celebrations. And they started before 1976 even arrived. Uh, it was 1975 when the American Freedom Train left the station. Uh, it was, uh, some of you remember, it was a restored engine from the age of steam pulling 28 cars through all 48 states, contiguous states, town by town, station by station for 21 months. Why? So that American children and adults could see, could have brought to them a piece of the Star-Spangled Banner, a copy of Common Sense, actual weapons from the actual revolution. It had Benjamin Franklin's handwritten Articles of Confederation, George Washington's copy of the Constitution with his notes, Delaware's ratification of the Bill of Rights. It had the Battle Hymn of the Republic, the Emancipation Proclamation. It had a double-sized Liberty Bell donated by the American Legion to the Children of America. It had fine art and sports gear and inventions of Thomas Edison and a Wright Brothers diagram and a moon rock. And these are just some artifacts from just one nation that wasn't even 200 years old yet. What a country. How does a country have all that? How does one country do all that? And that's what millions and millions of Americans were thinking. They came to see the train, to board it, to look wide-eyed at the Louisiana Purchase and Abraham Lincoln's hat and a lunar rover. And even if it was only steaming by and all you could catch was the silhouette of the double-sized new Liberty Bell through the display window, they came out just to see that train whistle past. Tens of millions of them. So there's just one celebration involving millions of Americans. Did you know about something called the Bicentennial Wagon Train Pilgrimage? This, this is amazing. There were thousands of Americans who wanted to celebrate our founding and the winning of the West by retracing the wagon trains. I'll give you a second to think about what that meant, what that involved. 
They signed a rededication pledge and it said that they did that to dedicate ourselves anew to the precepts of our founding fathers. So the first of these wagons started in Blaine, Washington State. And it set out west to east for the Oregon Trail, the Bozeman Trail, the Great Wagon Road, the Natchez Trace, the Old Spanish Trail, and others. Uh, in some of these places, incidentally, you can still see the original 1800s ruts still in the ground. And yes, this wagon train in 1976 was covered wagons pulled by horses. A wagon for each of the 50 states in the Union, pulled by horses, shaking and swaying and slowly rolling down the shoulder of the highway at what, what would that be, 10 miles per hour? Uh, behind a police escort and they'd stop at towns and present a musical about 1800s american history and local people would would come singers and dancers and glee clubs and bands and more people and more wagons would would join and they would swap stories and they and they would teach the people on the wagon train about their history of, of their particular part of the trail so there were five wagon trains from all over the West bound for Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. Yes, Pennsylvania. So yeah, they started out way before 1976 even got close. So the nation was looking forward not just to July 4th, 1976, not just July 1976, and, but just 1976 period, the year of the bicentennial. And of course, the Americans are going to manufacture things and sell them. So we had bicentennial edition books and magazines and cookbooks and toys and bicycles and furniture and guitars and guns and chainsaws and lawnmowers. We built bicentennial edition Jeeps and Buicks and Chevys and Pontiacs and Cadillacs and Harley Davidsons. They had bicentennial edition motorhomes and buses and Mack trucks and case tractors and streetcars and boats. I'm thinking of the 76 F-150 white with red and blue stripes, a gold metallic bald eagle on the side, engine block painted blue. Americans, the, the point here, Americans were happy just to get to 1976. President Ford made a proclamation on the last day of 1975 to set the tone uh, for the entire bicentennial year. And if you look at video or you listen to radio, you're seeing all kinds of celebrations by all kinds of Americans in all kinds of places. But there's just this one general feeling. Hey, it's the bicentennial. Uh, did Americans have problems and flaws? I mean, do, do I have to say that? I guess I guess I should. Of course they did. You know, in 76 as in, in any other, other year. But were they pretty happy to be Americans? Yeah. So here's this clip I really wanted to share, a series of clips really, uh, but it just showed me where we are on July 4th, 2023, and where we were on July 4th, 1976. We've talked about the anticipation, people anticipating just starting the calendar year 1976. The Freedom Train's been going, the Wagon Train is uh, headed for Valley Forge, uh, the Bicentennial is in everything, newsstand magazines, news reports, uh, you know, the towns and cities and organizations of people everywhere have been planning for months and years. And now we close in on the actual day, July 4th, 1976. And people, not everybody, uh, but a lot of people are at their kitchen tables or they're on their couches. Kids are getting to stay up late. Maybe you're one of them. If you are, email me, letters at thetrumpet.com. Your memories from the bicentennial. Uh, but like I said, at their kitchen tables with their little tiny TV on the counter, 
uh, kids are getting to stay up late because they're waiting to see the clock strike midnight for it to officially be the 4th of July, 1976. All this is just to say there was a sense of anticipation. Listen to it. This is Charles Jordan on Saturday, July the 3rd, 1976. And the time now is 11.55 p.m. And we are now five minutes away from the arrival of Bicentennial Day 1976, Sunday, the 4th of July, 1976. And I'm going to use this tape in recording various radio stations here in the very first few moments and hours of 1976 That's a recording made 47 years ago by one American who was excited about the 4th. You can hear his anticipation, can't you? We're five minutes away from the official start of the Bicentennial. Isn't this great? This man went on to record segments from radio programs that day from just across one city, Greater New York. Lift your time to WCBS. Four tones will follow. The final loudest one marks the exact time. It's midnight. CBS News. At this moment, America's 200th birthday begins sweeping the nation from east to west. It was New York's first parade under the stars in 30 years, a cavalcade of Americana. Colorful floats depicting scenes from colonial days, frontier adventurism, right on up through the 20th century, toward a 21st century of worldwide unity and prosperity. A vision in keeping with the lofty ideals of the men who began this experiment in government called the United States of America. And a very good morning to you, a happy 4th of July, and this is the weather outlook for the New York metropolitan area. The 4th is nearly upon us, and there have been many activities in New York this day, highlighted by a procession of warships up the Hudson to the George Washington Bridge. We'll have reports on what's happened and what's to come. Again, currently cloudy, and a temperature reading of 70 degrees in mid-Manhattan. News at eight time, 12.07. 49 warships sailed into the New York Harbor yesterday morning in a 28-mile-long international naval review. And for the rest of the weekend, they'll be on display. At the head of the line was the guided missile cruiser USS Wainwright with 400 crewmen dressed in their best tropical white uniforms for that pass under the Verrazano Narrows Bridge. The warships this night, their hulls and superstructures outlined from stem to stern by white lights provided a fantastic spectacle and drew thousands to the shores of the Hudson. There were a number of official ceremonies. 11.52 right now with Oogie on a Sunday morning. We're about eight minutes away from going over live to the World Trade Center with special reports and all kinds of things happening this afternoon. So we'd like you to stay right with us here on the Great 66. Fireworks tonight at 9. Right now it's 11.52. Can you hear it? It's just a different spirit. The spirit of 76, they'd call it. A night parade, fireworks, of course. And this is what a lot of people remember, the tall ships. The tall ships. In New York Harbor, there were thousands of personal boats all around. They joked that you could almost walk from one shore to the other on them. Uh, but they they were there, and millions of people on the shore were there to see, coming up the middle channel, a naval review. Dozens of warships, the Wainwright, the enormous USS Forrestal supercarrier. Uh, and at the same time, the sailing ships of what they called Operation Sail. These are actual sailing ships from America and from other countries who wanted to participate in America's bicentennial. Italy and Norway and Poland and Denmark and West Germany and Colombia and Chile. In Japan, 
and in other countries, they were watching the American bicentennial. They actually, you know, tuned in to watch it on television. And especially the ships, which included Japan's Nippon Maru. We're going to go to the World Trade Center and see if once again we can contact the shadow. Bill? Yes, can you hear me now, Oogie? Yes, you're coming in really nifty. So you, talk about really nifty. I have never, ever seen anything as, as exciting as this. I mean, it looks like, you know, Oogie, when you see the convoys... And this was the 4th of July, 1976, New York City. This was just one city with just a few of the celebrations involving just a few million Americans. This was the spirit of 76, the spirit of 1976. America and Americans certainly weren't what they were in 1776. I think everyone then and now would acknowledge that. But they sure were happy to be American. Uh, the nostalgia comes on fast when you're looking at all this, but it's uh, it's not just nostalgia. It's It's just so different from America in June, July 2023. They were happy to be American in the big cities and in the small towns. July the 4th, 1976, the 200th anniversary, the birth of our country. And here in Stamford, Connecticut, a gala weekend comes to a climax with the largest parade the city has ever seen in its history. And as I stand in the reviewing stand at about White Street and Summer Street, with all of the dignitaries present, we now see flashing lights coming toward us, an array of American and state and bicentennial flags, and the first contingent of the parade is upon us. A very thrilling weekend in the history of our country. Just a marvelous, marvelous time to get together. And that's what this country obviously has done if you've listened to our newscasts, if you've watched television, if you've read the papers today. That's a parade in Stamford, Connecticut. There were parades in every city and town proud enough to muster them. Uh, our family's hometown had less than a thousand people in it. And you bet there was a big parade, floats and tractors and old cars and marching bands. Uh, the newscasters, you'll hear them, they're, they're saying, all I can see are people. Uh, people and their clubs and troops and orders and associations. And of course, mostly just with their families. And they're all in red, white, and blue. Uncle Sam hats and cowboy hats and vests. They've crocheted themselves. And you'll notice it's all modest clothes too, normal clothes. I didn't see even shirts with logos and stuff on them. Uh, even the performers are in modest, normal clothes, and that kind of stands out. But they've there's photos, there's videos, there's old newsreel clips or old personal uh, film clips uh, of celebrations from Huntington Beach to Tuckahoe to Groton to Hudson to San Mateo and Irving. People everywhere, flags on every street lamp, bunting on the glass storefronts, fire hydrants painted red, white, and blue, uh, and hanging all the way across the street, a huge banner in many of these towns. Uh, oftentimes it's, it says the spirit of 76. A lot are dressed up in costumes, women in prairie dresses, kids in tri-corner hats and colonial coats with turned up cuffs and brass buttons, or wearing coonskin caps and buckskin, and it's just... It's just such a spectacle. CBS News. The nation celebrates its birthday with guns and bells and fiddles. I'm George Herman reporting on the CBS radio network. President Ford aboard the aircraft carrier Forrestal rang the ship's bell at 2 o'clock Eastern time this afternoon, starting a wave of bells ringing all across the nation. In Boston, the USS Constitution, Old Ironsides, fired a salute for the first time in 95 years. In Washington, there was music on the mall, as Hal Walker reports. 
stomping, hand clapping, and finger snapping are the natural accompaniments to this real old-time fiddler's convention. In Polk County, Iowa, the crowd was smaller, and the entertainment more to the liking of the home folks. CBS News correspondent Sharon Lovejoy was there. Close to 15,000 people are on hand for the bicentennial celebration in Polk County, Iowa today. The festivities here have been patterned after an old-fashioned fair with hog calling and tobacco spitting, rolling pin throwing, wood splitting, and plenty of good old-fashioned fiddle playing. It's been a double celebration for the people of Polk County, a great big bicentennial party, and the 130th anniversary for the state of Iowa. Iowa, a day the folks around here say they'll long remember. I have the privilege of being at the American Folklife Festival, which is a very fitting celebration of a lot of things we Americans find precious. There are pavilions and tents and old-fashioned churches here. Uh, some of the pavilions have local and regional themes. Some of them present exhibitions of our skills, celebrations of the many different minds and the many different shades of people that went to make up America. Uh, all the way from the original Americans, as a matter of fact, to those who were very lately arrived. It's unique, too, here at the American Folk Festival in that the spectators at the festival are quite often participants as well. Uh, some of the skills that uh, we'll see demonstrated uh, can be taken part in by those who are on hand. And way down in the middle of the Folk Festival, I see a little plume of smoke arising. I happen to know that underneath that plume of smoke, there's a good old-fashioned American barbecue pit, and I hope to review that later on in the morning. But this morning, all attention is focused out there, just out of sight, beyond Governor's Island, and Verrazano Narrows, where that incredible fleet of tall ships stands ready to make its approach up the Hudson River. And then tonight, a fireworks display to dwarf anything that's gone before, shooting up from Governor's Island and Ellis Island, from barges on the water, and from the centerpiece, the Statue of Liberty. The major event of the morning, the major official event, is the celebration in Philadelphia at Independence Hall, where President Ford is going to speak shortly. Like Lincoln, I feel both pride and humility, rejoicing and reverence, as I stand in the place where two centuries ago the United States of America was conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Hear me singing out loud We're Americans growing proud Learn and share and live in free Part of America's family Brothers and sisters getting along Hands in our hands, making us strong I pledge allegiance to watch these videos or you listen to these recordings and you can hear the people clapping and cheering and uh, hopefully it comes through in some of these recordings I don't know if it will but you hear it as, as the parade comes down and uh, you hear those Americans cheering now they had readings from 1776 of course they had readings from 1876 too actually and from throughout those 200 years of amazing history they had color guards and air shows and block parties and plays by school children and tables with the boy scouts and picnic blankets and cakes and balloons and riders on horseback and cars parked on the grass and kids in the back of pickup trucks and dogs wagging their tails and news crews and people waving at the camera and everyone 
smiling. You know the scene I'm describing in that low definition, slightly grainy camera quality from the 70s? And I love this one slogan that they had. We have not yet begun to celebrate. to that show because of the spectacular event that's being what's going on right now and that's the 200th anniversary of the birthday of this country and in about two, two or three minutes we'll be talking to Bill Rock who's high atop the uh, World Trade Center we're on the 107th floor looking out into the harbor right now and you can see a couple of the boats already have their lights lit the deck lights and it's looking very nice and we saw the Goodyear blimp going by and already blinking messages out to the people and we will have that large fireworks display taking place in about 19 minutes so you just listen to that it's going to be one exciting event just over and over there's the spirit of it's the bicentennial isn't this great they're singing about the star-spangled banner and the halls of montezuma and weighing anchor and rolling the caissons and the green mountain boys and yankee doodle and foggy mountain and abraham lincoln and george washington and now those 60 wagons from the wagon train are in pennsylvania 3,000 miles from where some of them started in washington state and those 60 wagons have become 300 wagons. And they're surrounded by the descendants of the men of Valley Forge. And there's 75,000 people in and around uh, those wagons in Valley Forge uh, as they rededicate themselves to the principles of the men who uh, wintered there. Meanwhile, you have thousands of people listening to the president speak at Independence Hall in Philadelphia. They're out at Boston Harbor. Even the Queen of England came to Boston that day. 200 years after the Declaration of Independence, a British monarch comes to America as an honored guest and a good friend. Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth is made royally welcome. And at this point, I know that I don't know the breadth and the depth of the bicentennial celebration. I'm definitely not going to be able to get it across. And this doesn't even touch on what it was that was so worth celebrating. But I hope you're getting a good sense of the bicentennial and of the contrast. And I think that after the June we've had and what has been celebrated in America here in 2023, the contrast goes without saying. But again, back to 1976, they've got howitzer artillery going off as the Boston Pops Orchestra plays, and they have 300,000 people singing a song about America together in Madison Square. And you know, of course, we're going to end it with fireworks, whether it's my family's small hometown in Washington County, Indiana, or whether it's New York City, it's going to end in fireworks. The Empire State Building's lit up in red, white, and blue. Uh, now they're going to light up the sky over the tall ships and over the George Washington Bridge and the Statue of Liberty and the World Trade Center and just Manhattan in general. And they'd been preparing here and everywhere across America for this night. Disneyland had been preparing for years and gone all over the world to get red, white, and blue fireworks. <laughs> CBS News. The nation carries its 200th birthday celebration into the evening hours with music and fireworks. As we look to the bicentennial, we realized that we had to organize the entire industry uh, to produce this type of product. Uh, and uh, 
our properties, Disneyland and Walt Disney World, are the largest user of fireworks in the, in the world. And to get us through the bicentennial year is going to take about 150,000 shells. So we have been to Europe, to uh, Japan, Taiwan, uh, the Republic of China, uh, seeking out uh, the finest that we could bring to our to our parks this occasion. It really is the crowning uh, finale to our evening here at Walt Disney World. Uh, we have produced some very exciting and very dramatic uh, music just for the fireworks, to which all the shells are programmed. And it ends with the entire park standing, uh, singing the national anthem as the sky is illuminated in red, white, and blue. We hope that you enjoyed listening to the program on WNBC. And for those of you who were in view of them, uh, we hope that you enjoyed listening to the program and watching the fireworks, too. As it is right now, there are, uh, well, as you expect, after a fireworks display, everybody's kind of heading home. It's a beautiful sight in the harbor right now. All the lights are on here in uh, lower Manhattan. And, of course, to supplement all the fireworks that went off, and there were quite a few, say, in the last 10 minutes of the program. Uh, we also had um, a lot of other people were setting up their own little fireworks down there with the boats. NBC Radio News. Jeff Thompson reporting mammoth fireworks displays have capped the bicentennial celebration at the Statue of Liberty in New York Harbor and at the Washington Memorial Grounds in the nation's capital. Lighting the sky over the newly arrived tall ships and naval vessels from around the world, thousands of pounds of red, white, and blue explosives were fired in rapid succession. Red, white, and blue fireworks exploded like cannon shot over the Statue of Liberty as Americans on the East Coast closed out their celebration of 200 years of nationhood. Fireworks in Washington drew a million people, including the president and the first lady, watching from a White House balcony. Several hundred people had been keeping an all-night candlelight vigil on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in honor of the occasion. There were outdoor music festivals, speeches, parades, and a spectacular parade of sailing ships earlier in the day in New York Harbor. 4,000 boats sailed under the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. And in Miami and Chicago, huge naturalization ceremonies were held. America's bicentennial has been watched all over the world, as Bruce Dunning reports from Tokyo. According to overnight flash ratings, several million Japanese stayed up until 2 o'clock Monday morning to watch live broadcasting of bicentennial events from the United States. It was nearly The Bicentennial. 1976. What a nation this is. How happy we are. And of course they were. They're born into the most unique nation in world history. You've got all this amazing history. Yes. I mean, your nation has power and wealth. Yes, that's uh, worth celebrating. Uh, But it also has these amazing principles and this amazing history. And you have this amazing freedom that human beings have not had for most of human history. In 1976, the average American was just recognizing the obvious. So snap back to What is it that's wrong with us? You may have noticed that America in 2023 is not America in 1976. 
We're not even recognizing the obvious. We're not even happy to be Americans. We've lost what we had in 1776. We've lost even what we had in 1976. What we get out the banners for, what we celebrate in our gatherings is completely different. The people we listen to giving their speeches and their principles is completely different. Why? How does that happen? I said at the start of the show that we'd play a clip from a certain current American politician. This takes us forward in time to 2026. And that will be the semi-quincentennial, or the quarter millennial, 250 years on July 4th, 2026. And at least one politician is out there who wants to use the occasion to say, hey, isn't it great to be an American? Three years from now, the United States will celebrate the biggest and most important milestone in our country's history. 250 years of American independence. What a great country. And we have to keep it that way. But that's why, as a nation, we should be preparing for a most spectacular birthday party. We want to make it the best of all time. I will work with all 50 governors, Republican and Democrat alike, to create the Great American State Fair, a unique one-year exhibition featuring pavilions from all 50 states. It'll be something. The Great American State Fair will showcase the glory of every state in the Union, promote pride in our history, and put forth innovative visions for America's future. My hope is that the amazing people of Iowa will work with my administration to open up the legendary Iowa State Fairgrounds to host the Great American State Fair and welcome millions and millions of visitors from around the world to the heartland of America for this special one-time festival. I've read that he doesn't really celebrate his own birthday, but Donald Trump sure does want to celebrate America's. He wants to start on Memorial Day 2025 and go to the 4th of July 2026 and have what you heard there as well as major high school sporting events, uh, inviting foreign dignitaries to come, and he wants to start a national statuary garden of American heroes. All with this simple idea of let's celebrate America. That's rare, and it's refreshing. But you might be thinking the same thing I am. What kind of country will we be in 2026? Can we take three more years of this? And I'm not just talking about the man in the White House right now. I'm talking about, can we take three more years of America being what America has become? The fifth and final initiative Mr. Trump calls for in that video is actually the most important. And it's something that a lot of Americans today and in 1976, maybe to some much smaller degree in 1776, overlooked. He said that the 2026 celebrations would involve asking American religious leaders to pray for the nation and rededicate ourselves as one nation under God. We are one nation, although now people are wondering if even that will hold. Uh, we're breaking ourselves apart. We're wallowing in our entertainments and our pleasures and our vices. We're listening to the ideas and the demands of men of low character. We're allowing lawlessness, we're allowing policies designed to self-destruct everything that America has been. And we are not under God. When people think about this, when they hear this fifth of five points, they think of it as kind of a side issue, kind of a down-ballot lifestyle choice thing. Yeah, religion and say a prayer. And 
that is not what this is. That is not what this should be. But don't take my word for it. We therefore, the representatives of the United States of America, in general congress, assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do, in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved, and for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. John Adams wrote his wife, Abigail, after that document was signed. He thought it'd be kept on the second, not on the fourth, but listen to what he wrote, again, as read by Bicentennial celebrators and recorded by Charles Jordan that exciting day in 1976. My dear Mrs. Adams, July 1776 will be the most memorable epoch in the history of America. I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other from this time forward forevermore why were the founders excited why did they pledge not just their fortunes but their lives and their sacred honor they were taking a great risk they were making this great experiment none of the signers of the declaration none of their lives ever were the same after they signed that declaration but they were taking that risk, making that experiment in the hope that human beings could be given liberty and rule themselves according to the dictates of their own conscience. They stated that from the very beginning. They said, we rest all our political experiments on the capacity of mankind for self-government. They looked at the state of nature, as they called it, and determined that man had been created by God, obviously, and that in a state of nature, no man has the right to rule another, that all men are created equal. They knew that a government doesn't give you permissions or rights. It must strive to understand and then protect the rights you already have. The whole nation was built on the idea that all humans, American and beyond America, have inalienable rights. But how can that be? How can it be that you have inalienable rights? How can your rights not come from just whoever's in power right now? Well, that can only be the case if they are endowed by your creator. In the Founders' Day, people knew this was a massive, powerful, and potentially dangerous experiment. De Tocqueville said there was no telling what America had unleashed. But human beings do have rights, 
Uh, They are not born to be subjugated to other men just because those men somehow get into power. But they do not have the right to harm others, to deny them their rights, or to pull apart a society, so they do have to be governed. So it seems to be a quandary. So what was it that the founders were trying to build? What was the principle? What was the goal to always reach for? One nation under God. John Adams and the other founders specifically said that our Constitution cannot govern people who do not govern themselves as moral and religious people under God. We've forgotten the under God part. Abraham Lincoln told us that we had forgotten the under God part, and that was before the centennial. Would that we had audio of him. But he proclaimed in a fast proclamation that we have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. God is the executive. God is the lawgiver. God is the supreme judge of the world. The Declaration and the Constitution that came from it were written in acknowledgement, in tacit acknowledgement of the fact that the rightful executive, the rightful judiciary, and the rightful uh, legislature were not directly governing man, which is to say that God was not directly governing the United States of America. And if you don't have that in place, then the next best thing, which is obviously a far distant second, would be to prevent men from taking that power to themselves and ruling over others. So if you are wondering why America is so different than it was in 1976 or in 1776, and if you are afraid to see what it will be in 2026, of course it is because of our principles. And of course it is because we have forgotten God. Of course it is because we do not obey the laws of God. This is how we end up to where we won't even obey our own laws. Not even our own lawgivers or law enforcers will obey our own laws. It's not because we don't have enough money or enough supercarriers or enough votes for Republicans. We have forgotten God. And even if we could get back to 1976 or even if we could get back to 1776, if we won't remember the God that made us, and endowed us with specific inalienable rights, we and our posterity are going to end up right back here. We need to see what it is that this great American experiment is teaching us. There's a lesson here to be learned. And it's not just to loathe the communists and the Democrats or to put pressure on centrist Republicans or even to vote for certain policies or certain politicians. We have to put the under God part first. So I want to share with you here at the end one more recording. And it's like the voice of Washington or Adams or Lincoln coming from the past to tell us why America is so different now. This is from 1881, 
Fourth uh, of July in the American West, a town too small and too rustic and too new to have great celebrations beyond fireworks that were gunpowder struck on the anvil of the blacksmith and some firecrackers and some lemonade brought in uh, special at a pretty high cost and that everyone had to share. But they just all had to celebrate the glorious fourth, as they called it. And one man stood up to give a speech pretty simple, rough speech, and to read the Declaration of Independence. And then another man began to sing, My country tis of thee. And then everyone sang. And I love this recording of it from an audiobook that captures that rustic, pioneering, maybe slightly off-key rendition. My country tis of thee, sweet land of liberty, of thee I sing. Long may our land be bright with freedom's holy light. Protect us by thy might, great God our King. And then, one young girl, a teenager, realized something. The crowd was scattering away then, but Laura stood stock still. Suddenly, she had a completely new thought. The declaration and the song came together in her mind, and she thought, God is America's king. She thought, Americans are free. That means they have to obey their own consciences. No king bosses Pa. He has to boss himself. Why, she thought, when I'm a little older, Pa and Ma will stop telling me what to do, and there isn't anyone else who has a right to give me orders. I will have to make myself be good. Her whole mind seemed to be lighted up by that thought. This is what it means to be free. It means you have to be good. Our Father's God, author of liberty, the laws of nature and of nature's God endow you with a right to life and liberty. Then you have to keep the laws of God, for God's law is the only thing that gives you a right to be free. That's Laura Ingalls, Child of the Prairie, 1881. Read beautifully and with understanding by narrator Cherry Jones. I highly recommend her audiobook. But Americans... We don't have a problem with lack of bunting and flags and parades and patriotic products and celebrations. We have a problem with the principles of the 4th of July and the deeper principles beneath it. We have a problem with the principles of the 4th of July and the principles deeper than those. We have a problem forgetting that even those principles were intended by our founders as the starting point the starting point to human beings in America and everywhere else being able to live lives holding ourselves to the law under God, ruling ourselves. God Almighty created the mind free, they told us, and not governmental force, but our own character, our own decisions must make us rule ourselves and choose to submit to our creator, the creator of our rights. Our problem is we have forgotten God. Our experiment has gone very badly. Our hope is for liberty, liberty in law. Our hope is for justice for all. And we need to be learning the lesson that our country's history is teaching us. Our only hope is not in 
a certain politician or a certain party or even in America or even in a rededication to the original American ideals. Our only hope is in our creator who endowed us with certain inalienable rights. Only he can give Americans life, liberty, and happiness. As even your own prophets, America, so to speak, have told you. So much more to say about the amazing history of this nation and what it teaches us, but that's all our time for Trumpet Hour today. If you have memories from the Bicentennial or another 4th of July, email me at lettersatthetrumpet.com, lettersatthetrumpet.com. And a very large thank you to Jesse Hester for all the audio editing there at Trumpet Hour Mission Control. But thank you most of all for listening, and we look forward to being back with you on Trumpet Hour. Trumpet Hour.